podcast listeners, this is Mary Peterson with Heartbeat International. I serve as the housing specialist for that community. I am very excited to welcome Emily Prince uh, with Expect Hope. So Emily has been on a journey as a startup for the last several years and is now finding her groove and having a a very exciting program. So looking forward to talking to her about her journey as a startup. So Emily, welcome. Thank you, Mary. It's an honor to be here with you this morning. (laughs) Can you introduce yourself just a bit and tell us a little bit about Expect Hope? Sure. So God put in my heart the desire to provide an alternative to abortion in the abortion capital of this country, which is New York City. I was born in New York City and specifically the Bronx, and the Bronx has the highest abortion rate of all five boroughs. So I don't think it was a coincidence that God placed me in this part of the country and gave me a passion to advocate for women who are underserved, who are unsupported by the father of the children or by their families. And so I'm very family community oriented. And so I feel like God worked those things in my heart along with a passion for the pregnancy help movement. I was trained as a peer counselor in a a pregnancy uh, help center, and I really saw there the need for more sustainable long-term support for mothers who are expecting. And uh, so, yeah, so God kind of brought, worked a lot of things uh, throughout my college years and afterward uh, to the point where I went back to get my master's degree in community development. It was urban studies with a concentration in community development, and I wrote the program plan for a Christ-centered residential program named Expect Hope, and the idea was that we are going to serve women who were expecting uh, children, any stage of pregnancy, and then serve them for about two years following that, connecting them with life skills, material support, spiritual and emotional support, connecting them with jobs so that then they could be uh, making gainful employment and be independent uh, heads of households. So that was really the vision, and I graduated with my with my program plan in 2015, and a building was offered to us for the use of Expect Hope uh, with the caveat that it would be available to us in two years. So then those two years, I really endeavored to spread awareness, to fundraise, uh, to just let people know that we were going to be an evangelical home in, in New York City. We are now the only evangelical maternity home in New York City. And then we opened our doors early 2018 and brought our first mama in in March. And we served about seven women the first year and had two babies born. And now we're almost finished our second year and we have a full uh, full house. We have five mamas and, and, and three babies and two more to be born very soon. And um, so God has been very gracious establishing us in New York City. Oh, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it in brief. Um, I know in um, kind of uh, speaking with you throughout that journey, you know, everyone's startup journey is different, but yours was, uh, you really worked a plan. You really had clear vision and, and were really kind of working in a very, yeah, just organized and planned that way. And it was, it was really a joy to watch, watch all of it unfold from afar. So 
One of the things that God has taught me in that aspect is just that he is a strategic God. And I loved studying Nehemiah. So I would encourage maybe other people who are listening who are in the startup phase to do a study in Nehemiah and just see how God is, you know, bringing, bringing skilled workers together to do his work. And it's, it's good to plan and strategize and he's in it. And yeah, so I just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. You know, as we were preparing for this, um, you sent me some uh, points, just things that had occurred to you and about your journey. So you mentioned that that uh, you kind of referenced it as the war for life. Can you tell us a little bit about that element? Sure. I mean, it's really a spiritual battle. I mean, it's a spiritual battle for souls, um, but that, I feel like <laughs> that battle only happens once that physical life is here. And so, um, so really, you know, we have, we have God who's offered life abundant through Jesus Christ, and we have the devil who wants to steal that life, who's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's really the, the, time space we find ourselves in the pro-life movement in the pregnancy help organization and so I would I would encourage uh, anyone who's in this who's in this field to look that this is a battle for souls to advance the kingdom of God and so um, really I just want to you know what I have learned is I'm a very goal-oriented person, and so I really want to be like the end game, the end game. But I really, God has taught me that it's much more about the journey um, than the actual destination, and our job is to be faithful in ministering to the lives that he brings across our path and to speak his gospel truth and to put those seeds that have the capacity to grow into abundant life and be faithful in holding that out and be faithful in honoring our role and to trust him with the end results, really, to focus on the relationships in Christ, to trust him with the results and to focus on the people that he's brought us. A lot of times, I think we can get caught up in the numbers and statistics and how many people we're serving. And and right now, I'm thrilled to say we have a full house. But I am challenged to remember that these are individual, unique souls, each one of these mamas, each one of these babies, and it's not enough to just put a roof over their head. It's not enough to just make sure they're going to their appointments and and having enough food for the day. What is most important is that we hold out the gospel of Jesus um, with with the aim of expanding his kingdom. Yeah, that's awesome. Very well said. Thank you. A few aspects about your own kind of leadership perhaps or those that you're working with that you mentioned were both, you know, putting on your armor and leading in the presence of God. Can you tell us about about that and how that played out in your leadership? Sure. I mean, one of the, I I love the passage in James 1, and I think anyone who's uh, looking to start up or maybe just is in a a specific season of their ministry uh, to really meditate on James 1, especially uh, verses 2 through through 8, when it's talking about, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds keyword when. <laughs> it's not yeah. if. And so I think all of us, you know, need to focus on that encouragement that God knows. He, he knows we're going into trials. He knows they're going to come. We need to not be surprised when they come. And then we need to remember that the testing of our faith is going to produce steadfastness. And so me as a leader, I really speak into my staff saying, your faith will be tested. You know, in this job, this is not just a job. You know, this is a ministry that you're your faith, your trust in the 
Lord is going to be tested. We are going to have trials, and we need to lean on God and trust wholeheartedly in Him to equip us with the strength that we need and to give us uh, that wisdom. So one of the things I did with my staff, especially the second year of operation, is building into our staff culture the idea that we must be equipped spiritually. And so we need to know that this is a spiritual war. We need to know that we're not battling against flesh and blood. And so when, you know, when there's a flood in the house, when the, when the car stops working, when strange things happen in the home, even on the premises, it's not necessarily, we have to see the bigger picture and that see these are distractions. These are discouragements to keep us away from what our what our battle plan is really to advance the kingdom of God. And so I encourage my staff to put on their armor, you know, Ephesians 6, really uh, clothing clothing themselves in the tools that God has given us, you know, to get, to make us strong in the strength of his might and to, you know, put on the, I, I bought all my staff slippers because we went to a no-shoes home. <laughs> and so to keep it clean for the mamas and babies. And so I, I had them all pick out slippers that they would want. And when I gave it to them, I would was talking, uh, we focused on the, the spiritual armor and the fact that like every time you put on your slippers, remember your feet are fitted with the, the readiness that comes from the gospel. And so be prepared to share the gospel to the mamas every single day in different ways. And it's not overt Bible banging over the head. I don't want people to understand. It's just those little moments when a mom is hopeless and she doesn't understand how she could get out of a certain situation or she's exhausted because she got one hour of sleep, just speaking that gentle truth and encouragement um, and just leading from God's presence, really just going before God, how how should I respond in this situation? A mom comes with a head scratcher that we haven't heard yet and like, Holy Spirit, please, please tell me how should I answer right now? What would you have me say to her? And really coming from that posture of leading from God's presence as opposed to our own conjuring. Yeah, no thanks. I know during the startup phase, there's often points of discouragement, and I don't know to what extent you experience those, but you know, some people, uh, their, their walk of starting a home takes many years, or things don't turn out the way they want, or, you know, a funding source doesn't come through or, or whatever. Can you talk at all about the, dis- the seasons of discouragement during the startup phase? Sure, yeah. And I would say you have to be prepared for them. And then as soon as they come, you need to take action. So in one of my more personal seasons of discouragement, uh, one of my mentors, which that's my first point, (laughs) you need mentors, you need mentors, you need people who are speaking into your life uh, so that they can say, hey, I've been there too. And there's light at the end of the tunnel. This season will end. Yes, you're very discouraged. I think all founders, all leaders have several moments in their in their um, career of ministry that they do want to give up, that they do want to quit. And that's okay. You know, that's okay to kind of have the feelings and be in that place. It's really helpful to have someone walking, walking alongside you who's been there. And they're like, yep, I've been there too. I've been there too. And you're going to keep going. You're going to keep going. And um, so one of my mentors encouraged me that I I need people speaking truth to me daily. So I reached out to some people and I asked them if they would choose one day a week that they would pray for me 
or but not only pray for themselves by themselves but like write out their prayer and send it to me or send me a, a song of encouragement or a scripture or an image something that uh, would encourage me in my walk and so there's about seven different people one day a week and some people have been incredibly faithful at this and it's it's very it, it it lifts you up, you know, it lifts you up, like you said, when that grant doesn't come through or when it's $10,000 less than it was last year and you're hoping for a $20,000 increase, you know, um, then those that message comes through and it reminds you of truth and it reminds you what you're doing and it gives you a greater perspective. I think um, organizationally probably one of the, the biggest challenges that I have faced is in terms of staffing and finding people who are committed and are, you know, who are co- equipped and called and committed and who will stay through the the kind of gnarly startup trial and error phase. Um, one of the biggest things that I think is needed are, are just commit kind of ride or die people that are gonna are gonna understand we might need to go through several iterations of this until we find what works for our specific home in our specific location in this specific point in time with this demographic of the women that we are serving. So, yeah, I could go in more, but Mary, did I answer your question? Do you want me to elaborate? Yeah, I know. That was awesome. I'm sure there's people out there that need to hear that. Thank you. So you mentioned earlier that this work is all about relationship, and there's a lot of different ways in which, you know, their relationship plays out in the home life. Can you talk a little bit about some of those key relationships and how you develop those? So I would recommend for really everyone, but especially when you're in a position of leadership, to have a mentor who's walked your path before, so an executive director or a founder of a maternity home um, or other spiritual and or I should really say and other spiritual mentors that will really come alongside you. And, and I would challenge you to make it a little more of a formal thing that there's a weekly time that you connect with someone, you know, on on phone is fine, but that that someone can really walk alongside you in life and minister to you whatever you're going through that week. And so, yeah, mentors, counselors, I recommend that everyone, especially in the helping professions, um, receive personal counseling and therapy because there's so much, there's so much going on. There's a lot of vicarious trauma that you're receiving. I think all of us, although we would love to be operating from a place of pure healing, a lot of us, you know, might have our own hurts and trauma that we're still working out or we're still pursuing healing. And so, counseling I think is a is a is a must especially through the more discouraging seasons of leadership and then just yeah those friends that speak into you on a on a weekly basis so you get something every day and then of course your founding board members your volunteers your people that you can call at 10 o'clock at night and say if you can't come and help me I'm going to be up till two in the morning and those people who will come over and help you with a mailing last minute uh, really to just bring those people around you uh, who um who can lift up your arms as as um, her and Aaron did that when the Israelites were uh, fighting for Moses. And if you don't have these people, I'd encourage you to ask God to bring them to you. Pray and ask God, God, I need a mentor. I need these people who will lift up my arms. I am so weary. I'm so discouraged. And I need people around me. Ask God to bring you um, help in your army, and I know he will answer. That's definitely true. And it kind of segues into this other point, too, of like, you're learning both on a, an emotional level and getting encouraged and lifted up. and But then there's also just the kind of the learning from those that have done the work before, learning from existing organizations, you know. So there's also just a kind of a pure learning about the, the world of maternity housing. Can you talk a bit about that in your own journey? 
Yes. I mean, from the, like I said, I graduated with my program plan for Expect Hope. And literally, I think it was one week afterward, I stumbled upon the resources from Loving and Caring and realized I could have purchased everything. I worked my blood, sweat, and tears for the last three years. I could have purchased that for $100 through Loving and Caring. (laughs) But I was actually really happy because I had something to compare, you know, my work with. And I was really happy to see that there were a lot of similarities. You know, there were a lot of similarities in that. um, And at that point, I knew it inside and out. And I obviously knew God had a plan um, for me to become so familiar and delve more into kind of the theoretical of why we do what we do. And, you know, poverty alleviation and women empowerment and and mothers. and, And so that was really great to have that theory behind that. But yeah, there really are resources through um, Heartbeat International. So it's like I said, as soon as I graduated, that is as soon as I became connected with um, Heartbeat International, with the National Christian Housing Coalition, I went to my first conference a few months after that, and um, the National Maternity Coalition, and became affiliates of these groups. And I would highly recommend anyone who is really in any stage of housing, but to become affiliates and to learn from the people who have decades of experience and all this pooled knowledge. We're, we're very much stronger together, the greater body of Christ, and it doesn't mean you copy everything, you know, exactly because, um, oh, but that kind of gets into my, my next point. But yeah, it really in terms of visiting program, similar programs, every similar program you can, you really don't want to reinvent the wheel. And so I, um, you want to become known with other directors who are doing similar things around you because you can help each other. You can encourage each other. And, um, the last thing you want to do is be an island of, of service when there, when there are so many resources available to you. And within our movement, there's a lot of variety. So, you know, that, and we share this common mission and common heart, but there is a lot of variety and, you know, a lot of places where you have to kind of figure out what fits for your own organization. I know you spent some time visiting other programs um, and then had to kind of go through this adaptation process of what do I like? What do I, you know, what, what is God asking of me? What is, you know, how does this all fit together for, for our time and place? Can you talk about that process? Yes, and when I was in graduate school, I was required to do an internship, and so I had the honor to intern at Good Council Homes in the Bronx. Chris Bell is the director of that group of homes, and that was a great experience for me. I got to see maternity housing up close and personal, and I was pregnant at the time, so that was a fun um, that was a, a fun aspect of it in terms of relating to the moms there. And God really showed me, you know, things I could take and I could adapt. And so I think what you said, Mary, is key. You need to see, like, what do you like? What could you use? What would you say? Oh, I think I'd do this a little differently. But then also being obedient to God's unique call. Because maybe God's calling you specifically to a home for minors, of which there's a huge need. Or maybe God's calling you specifically to um, to open a home for moms who are considering adoption plans and need support in that. And so I, I would just encourage the most important character trait a founder and leader can have is obedience. That's what God has taught me. (laughs) It's more than competence. It's more than uh, get up and go. It's really obedience to to God's calling for what he has for you. You mentioned that part of that is getting back up again, you know, having moments when things don't go like you expect and then having to kind of get back up and keep going. 
Yeah, I love it. We had a few of the sisters, um, sisters of life in New York City come and speak with um, my very first ever staff early in 2018. And one of the sisters said, she said, get ready to fall on your face every single day and get back up again. And then after a few weeks, you'll fall on your face once a week and then you have to get back up again. And then after a while, you'll fall on your face, you know, every month or so. But I loved, I loved the analogy of get ready. You're going to, it's trial and error. You're going to have to be creative, to dig deep, to be inspired. But the key is to um, get back up. No, that that definitely resonates with me. You know, being gentle on yourself when you do fall and having the courage to get back up. And that's that's definitely a life lesson. So, um, I love this. So this isn't from the Bible, but I think there's a lot of applicable uh, lessons. So this is from Theodore Roosevelt, and it says, um, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the door, the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit actually belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. Ah, that's great. That's really great. That encouraged me this morning, so thank you for that. Another part of your own journey, just to segue a bit, was needing to kind of clarify your vision and really, you know, you you have pieces of it or you have glimpses of it and then there's that, that process of ironing it out and, and then, you know, sometimes that vision has to shift. Some new information becomes available and you have to, to shift a bit. Can you talk about the clarification process? Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest tools that one of my other mentors shared with me is called the Vision Traction Organizer, and this comes from the EOS model. So if you just type in Vision Traction Organizer EOS, that will pull up a pretty handy tool. I like it because it's a double-sided page. And so you can have, I think people get very overwhelmed with vision or they have vision and they have no idea how to get there. And so why I love this is because it's like, let's type out our core values. Let's clarify our focus. What is our strategy? What is our mission statement? What's our vision statement? Where do we want to be in 10 years? Okay, all that aside, and I think some founders are very strong in that visionary aspect. You kind of have to be a visionary to be a founder. But then it helps you, this tool helps you saying, okay, how are we going to get there? What are the steps that we need to take to gain traction towards that vision? And so um, this is a tool that I use with um, the board, and I use this together, and we, we do it every year. And so it has you do the 10-year target, then you go to the three-year target. What are the measurables? What are the what are the steps that need to be taken to get to those measurables? How much money would you have at that time? And then you go to the, your one-year vision, your, your one-year uh, target, and and see, again, what were the measurables? What do we need to do to get there? And then it breaks it into a quarter. And so each board meeting, um, our, each quarterly board meeting, my board and I walk away with our action steps, with our rocks for that quarter that we will need to build traction towards our ultimate vision, which is, you know, in that 
one-year target. So I think it's important to, you know, go before God, clarify what does he want me to pursue, and um, there are different tools uh, that you can use to do that, but really then gain that traction towards moving um, towards there and not be discouraged if there are detours. There's a there's an image that's based on James 1. Uh, if we had visual, I would show it now, but it says, like, my plan, and it's a person just, like, riding a bike in a straight line, and then it says God's plan, and it's like this straight line, it goes way down deep in a valley, then it goes up on a mountain, then it goes, like, around this bend, and then it's, and so the goal was actually the same in both pictures, but our vision, we can tend to, okay, straight shot, the most efficient way, especially with goal-oriented people like myself, but what I've learned is it's not as much about that ending point. I think God has given us this vision. We're going to end up pretty much the same place, but really the the growth and the sanctification and the beauty really is in the detours and the unexpected places that God takes you on your way there. I could tell just listening to you, I mean, just the, the spiritual wisdom of having walked out this journey, you know, that that, that is you know, that is hard one to know and trust and believe in those things. Um, and with that, you know, there's a lot of passion that comes underneath that to keeping the journey, you know, keeping the walk and then having to share that passion and learn how to share that passion with other folks. Um, can you talk about the, the process of taking this vision, this kind of abstract idea, and then now having to show other people, teach other people and get other people involved? Yeah, so if you took that VTO, your vision traction organizer, and you have something there tangible, first of all, take that with you because people will just be impressed. If they see that, you know, if you're speaking, if you're speaking to a potential donor or a volunteer that's like, hmm, what are you, you know, what are you getting into? And you have an organized double page, one sheet, 10-year, three-year, one-year plan and how you're going to get there, people are going to want to get on board because they trust you. You know, they trust you as a pilot, like you're leading them and they know where you're going. And I don't think so many people would get into an airplane if they had no idea of the destination or if it was vague. Oh, yeah, we're going to go we're going to go somewhere in Asia, you know. <laughs> I don't know that many people would, would get in the plane with that pilot because they don't want to end up somewhere in Asia, even though they might want to go to a specific place in Asia. And so I think that having that vision traction organizer that you carry around with you, but then also getting a good elevator speech. So an elevator speech is a term for how can you kind of share um, share that vision in about you know 60 to 90 seconds in the time that an elevator might start and stop those words, those key words, you need to know your mission statement, you need to memorize your mission statement so that you're not telling 20 people that you're doing 20 different variations of the same thing. You want to use consistent terminology. You need to um, know that mission statement, know where you're, who you're serving, where you're serving, and what your goal is. Be able to articulate that very clearly. Practice it. Practice it with your board. Have that a part of your board meetings with your key, with your founding board. You know, always have about five minutes in your board meeting that the board members are just practicing their elevator speech with each other because they're going to be some of your primary ambassadors. And um, you really need to talk to everyone. You need to, I mean, it's also a great evangelism tool, actually, because when you're at the post office and you're checking, you know, opening your 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 mail that might have come in or you're sending out a big mailing in preparation for, for you know, the year end or you're sending banquet thank yous, the people at the post office are like, oh, what's this all about? What's going on? And they're going to see you, believe me, when you get your 
your, you know, when you get your EIN number and all the exciting things that come along with incorporating and and starting up, like you you can't help but show it when you're when you're doing business at the bank at at the bank you're opening your bank account for your new ministry and people are going to ask you oh what's what's going on and you naturally share what you're doing so be prepared to share that passion and then you also share Jesus in the midst of it um, because everyone's going to say oh that's a really great thing uh, you just want them to see I, at least I want them to see well it's more than a social service project you know this is more than just a great thing this this has like eternal uh, benefit so I found it's been a great tool for even evangelism of the greater of the greater community um, but at the end of the day you know money follows passion and if people see that you're excited about something and energized about something they want to give they want to give I'll, I'll share a, a fun story so I had purchased something for my child off of Facebook marketplace I've never done this before and I have three little kids so it's it hard to get out of the house so the person actually offered to bring the item to my house, which was about a blessing to me. And so she, she offered to bring the item to my house, and I, I gave her the money, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm a little bit of a wreck here, I'm super exhausted, because we just had our banquet, our annual banquet. And so, you know, a normal a normal thing to say is I give her the money, I'm about to say goodbye, and she said, oh, what was the banquet for? So within the next, you know, minute or two, I give her my elevator speech, I tell her what I do, she says she's so excited. She loves it. She hands me the money I just gave her for the item back and says, please give this to Expect Hope. So just share your passion with everyone you come in contact with and God will use it. Oh, that's great. Such a great little witness of, you know, how those things happen. I know the money piece can be scary for a lot of folks and often is the place where people just feel, you know, that's where discouragement can set in. Can you just talk about your own journey of having to learn about fundraising and start to do the fundraising walk? I love fundraising. I love development. I I, I love it because to me, it has nothing. It, it's an advocate piece. I'm I'm naturally an advocate for people, and so to me, this is not a selfish thing. It's not that we're begging. It's not that you know, and any negative terminology or connotation that comes with fundraising like begging or charity or this and that. I want you really to throw all that out the door. That is not accurate of what the kingdom of God looks like. God is the one who is in charge of where all the money's coming from, where all the money's going, and he has blessed his people tremendously. I mean, especially in this country and my heart uh, my heart goes out to the pregnancy help organizations in other countries that fundraising is not as easy or as manageable for uh, as as it is for us in the United States, but um, since this is my place that God has called me, um, it's been a huge blessing to be able to reach out to the greater body of Christ and invite them to become a part of something that God is doing. And a lot of people are excited about this. I mean, if they have the Holy Spirit and they have the heart of God, they know they are to care for the orphans and the widows. And our mamas are pretty much social widows, you know, and they don't have the man there who's caring for them. The child doesn't have the father. And and this is what, you know, true religion is called in James. I love James, by the way. And so, um, 
I think I think that it's really important to remember that we're going out and we're advocating for people who God has commanded Christians to care for. So you're coming along and you're saying, hey, I have a plan. I have a way that we can care for these people. Would you, do you want to be a part of this? And it's really an honor for them. And I would assume most people who are starting homes or who are listening to this give of their own funds to different causes. And and I do. And I love giving. And I think that just, just tap into what's your favorite place to give to? What, what's your favorite organization to support? And maybe you give monthly. Maybe you give once a year. Maybe you give in creative ways. But whatever joy, just capture that joy that you personally have when you engage with that organization and just think that is what you are inviting other people to experience when they partner with you. And so I think that really to have that freedom of stepping away, this isn't personal. This isn't for your betterment. This is for those that we are called to serve. And it's, it's an, and God has given, especially within the body of Christ, I think it's a, a spiritual gift of generosity and of giving. And so there are people who are looking for places to fund, who have, who have um, money given by God and are looking for organizations organizations to fund. So I would say be faithful to your mission to honor God and keep Christ at the center of everything. And God has more money than the government. And so you don't have to feel like you have to have government funding or you have to maybe make compromises on your on your faith stance to be able to have the money because I truly believe that God is going to provide for for his advancement of his kingdom. Oh, that was great. I Yeah, I love to yeah, tap into your own joy of giving and then, you know, kind of run from that place. That's, that's really insightful. I have the joy. One of my favorite t-shirts comes from Expect Hope and says, um, expect future, which is different than your past. Something along those lines. <laughs> Can you talk a little about that phrase and what that means to you? Right, yeah. The, yeah, the phrase is anticipate a future that is different than the past. And the reason we, or I named it expect hope was because uh, hope is such a beautiful thing. And we need a lot of hope as founders, especially if we're facing staffing situations or money situations or building situations. And maybe there's one message that might come across your desk that, oh, someone's going to apply. Or I think there might be a way around this <laughs> needed certificate of occupancy or something or or oh, there there's a grant there's a foundation that's interested in speaking with you that little gem of hope can power you tremendously i love this aspect of how god has created us um so hope is vital it gets you through it's so important but what i was keenly aware of when i started was that probably most of our moms coming to us would not be in a place to even receive that hope or to have hope. So I didn't want to kind of come and and just be like a a hope smasher, you know? I mean, hope is kind of like an overused word in organizations, and here I am using it again. But I think hope has almost been diluted a little bit, diluted because when, when people come from such hard places and from places of trauma, it's really difficult to even imagine what could hope look like. But that's what my goal is. I want them to just imagine it. You don't have to have it. I'm not asking you to have hope because I can see in this case, hope is very far away. But think about it. Anticipate it. Imagine a future that's 
different than what you experienced in the past because very well they know, they feel, they've embodied what they have experienced in the past. But Expect Hope is really an invitation to consider a life that could be different from that. That's really, really beautiful. Yeah, and really it's encouraging to me whenever I put it on, you know, in in that my past has a lot of beauty and hope in it, but just to to look toward the future with with hope as well um, is a good reminder every time I wear it. So thank you for sharing that t-shirt with me. We're almost at the close, Emily, and I want to be sure, you know, that you just have a chance. I'm, I'm aware that when I speak to startups, you know, we talked a little about the discouragement and we talked a little about the challenges and I just hear all this, um, you know, and I know in speaking with you that you've had to endure some really hard phases and maybe just an ending uh, in some ways it might be kind of a summary of what you've said before, but to think about those folks that are listening um, as startups and that are just kind of overwhelmed by all the the what ifs or the things that don't seem to be seem to be hard, you know, they wanted this to be easy and now it's hard. And um, if you could just maybe um, end with some thoughts uh, to, to encourage and lift those folks up. Sure. One of my, one of the phrases that my mentor tells me is that it's hard because it's supposed to be hard. And I still don't think I've quite grasped the meaning of it, but I think I'm moving in that direction. And so a few words of encouragement that I would have um, to those listening is that this is about a process. This is about a process of sanctification and the trials are going to come and God is not surprised by them. He is not surprised by your setbacks. He is not surprised by, you know, when things go wrong and, and, and people aren't committed or money doesn't come in or buildings are, you know, uh, there are concerns in the buildings. He's not surprised. He has a plan and he is going to work all those things to reduce deem them to an even more beautiful picture. And I, I know even for myself, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear that. That's too hard to imagine or understand. But one illustration that was taught to me actually at the last National Christian Housing Conference, which I love, I can't say the actual, um, the actual words. It's an, it's an Asian word. I don't know if it's, it's Japanese. It's Japanese word. I can't pronounce it, so I'm not going to try. But in English, it's translated as golden joinery or golden repair. And it's an art of, let's say, a, a, a piece of pottery is broken or a plate has broken, dashed into pieces. This art, you repair this piece by you mix the lacquer with a golden dust. You can put gold or silver or platinum in the the lacquer, the glue that's going to put it back together. And so then you you know you paint the you paint the pieces of pottery and then you put them back together and then they and then it it melds back together. I'm not very artistic, but I but it looks it, it I know they have their technique. But at the end of the process, what you have is a plate. And you would think, oh, I want to repair this and not show any signs of damage, right? But no, this art is actually enhancing the places where there was damage. So because 
because of the gold or the silver, it's even more apparent where there are cracks and where that, but the idea is like, wow, how beautiful is this restored plate because it has character, because it has a story, because it's still here. It's still here all in one piece. And with your finger, you could trace the lines of where once it was not whole. And now you are looking at the whole picture. And so I hope that illustration would be encouragement. Like I said, I don't understand it all. And I'm definitely in the fires myself. But as, as a goal-oriented, you know, type A, Enneagram 8 person, I have glimpsed the beauty of what of what this is, and I am pursuing that beauty in my own journey. Oh, Emily, thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom today. Um, and really, I hear, I hear the joy and encouragement, the reality of it, right? The reality of hard times and, you know, places of challenge just the insight and wisdom and passion that's come from that in, in your sharing. So definitely grateful for your insights. If people want to learn more about Expect Hope, um, is there a website you could share? Yes, www.expecthope.org. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram, and we have a YouTube channel where you can see some testimonies of our residents. Um, the last piece I would say is have a video. You know, have a video of you sharing your passion. As soon as you have residents, have videos of them because we're in such a technological world, and it really connects the pieces. So, yeah, look on YouTube, see our videos, and um, just be encouraged that, that there is a community alongside you and around you, and we are all pursuing um, – we are all pursuing pursuing uh, God's kingdom together. So be blessed. Oh, amen. So very good. Well, with that, we will sign off. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. To subscribe to future episodes, access resources related to today's session, or listen to previous episodes, visit www.heartbeatinternational.org slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in.